So you've got your finger there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look back with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where we were just last week. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are afflicted in every way. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are struck down. I'm just reading the bad parts. Verse 10, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. That sounds good. That that sounds fun. Chapter 5, verse 13. Let's jump into our passage. If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. What does that mean, be be beside yourself? Got to be going, freaking out? Freaking out, is that? Chapter 6, look down at chapter 6, verse 4. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Skip down to verse 8. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we're treated as impostors. Verse 9, we're treated as unknown. We're treated as dying, as punished. Verse 10, as sorrowful, as poor, as having nothing. So, why are you doing this, Paul? Why are you doing this? Paul answers in verse 14 of chapter 5. Going into that in verse 13, he says, If we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. How many of us love to be controlled? Go ahead and raise your hand if you loved, right? How eager are you to be controlled? Do you like being controlled? I mean, being controlled is like our greatest anxiety. You know, as, as, as we grow up, as we enter our teenage years and young adult years, right, the primary point of friction is, don't control me, right? And our greatest anxiety as adults is like the, the conspiracy that they're, gonna, they're trying to control you. Don't you realize, right, the, This is one of our greatest, one of the greatest existential threats that we face is that some other greater, stronger power might control me. And the love of Christ controls us. Wake up, church! Christ means to control you! Is that that okay? What does this mean? That's really the question that we're asking today. What does it mean? Paul's doing all this crazy stuff. He's subjecting himself to all of these difficulties that nobody would ever, right? Would you rather get beaten or have ice cream, right? Like nobody would choose these things. But he is going this direction for the love of Christ controls him. Now, I want to make sure that we frame this properly. So let me just... uh, Put this in context. What is Paul trying to do here at this point in 2 Corinthians? 
Look with me at chapter 5, verse 12, the very beginning of our passage. Paul says, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but we're giving you cause to boast about us, so you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not not about what is in the heart. So he's answering, he's trying to answer concerns that, that people might have about his work. He begins this section with this, and now look at the very end of it in chapter 6, verses 3 to 4. Just listen to the same language of commendation. He says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Paul is trying to commend his work to the Corinthian church, And he's trying to do that for two reasons, which we see in the appeals he makes. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with God, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So he, he wants to show the Corinthian church how they should receive God's grace, how they should respond to the gospel. And then at the very end of this passage, in verse 13, in return, he says, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Widen your hearts to Paul. Go from 13, which is the last verse in our passage, to 14. Widen your hearts to us also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So he's not just trying to instruct the Corinthians on how to respond to the grace of God. He's trying to get them to participate in his work as opposed to participating in the work of others, these others who are commending themselves by outward appearance, these others who are putting Paul down because he's not necessarily the most photogenic of church leaders. So Paul's going to explain in our passage, in one way to think about it, is why his ministry looks so wacky and why maybe your life should look a little wackier. So let's jump in. The love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. Paul's saying that he lives to serve the gospel message. And this is the very beginning of our passage, verses 13 to 15. If we're beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this. Here's the gospel message. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It's exciting. I like that. Verse 19. Here's another bit of gospel. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. How, Paul? Verse 21, like this. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, even though Jesus knew no sin, so that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God and so be reconciled to God. So Paul serves the gospel message, the love of Christ. But the love of Christ controls him. And here's how. Look at verse 17. What does that say? If anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Gospel, the love of Christ, the gospel, is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament hopes that what we lost in the garden would somehow be reborn, remade, renewed, restored to us. 
The gospel is apocalypse. The end of the world. The gospel is the destruction of all that was. It's, it's bringing the new normal to our lives. The gospel is the message that the new creation is here. It's interesting in the original here, the, it says, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. So it's like really ambivalent. It's saying, if anyone's in Christ, you're in a new creation. If anyone's in Christ, the new creation's in you. You're a new creation, and you're in the new creation. And therefore he says, and therefore the, the old has passed away, the new has come. Welcome to the new. A new world, a new you, a new them, a new us, a new life before us. This is what the gospel message says. What Jesus has done is catastrophic. It changes everything. It is a catastrophe. And so, and this is not a great logical leap, but let me just make this clear, so that so then if the gospel, so that the, the, the love of Christ, the gospel message, is going to call for changes. Right? It's this great catastrophe. It's going to change us. It's a new creation. It's an apocalypse. And that's what... Paul means when he says the love of Christ controls us. What are some things that control you? Spouses? Children? Bosses? Clients? Is that okay? Right? Is that, is, is that okay that those people... Right? What, is it, what does this mean? It means they direct us. They redirect us. I want to do this. Well, guess what? You're going to do this today. Because the client needs you, or the boss tells you, or your kids need you, or your spouse tells you. Right? So they, they control you. You don't do the things that you maybe immediately want to do. They, they redirect you towards their desires, which is okay because their desires are your desires. They're your greater desires. So this is, this is okay. The gospel does the same thing. The love of Christ does this for us. The gospel, and here's kind of the big idea. All right, there's this slide. Get that? Here we go. The gospel contains a job description. It is a comprehensive redirection of our lives. The gospel contains a job description. It contains a job. This is the next thing Paul's going to talk about. Something that you are called to do. And it contains a description of that job. It's going to tell us how we are supposed to do what we are called to do. Something we're to do and, and how we're to do it. All right, so what is our job? Look with me at verse 15. Jesus died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Our job now is to live for Jesus. And what is that? How does he specify where to then go about living our lives? Verse 20, some of the just wonderful, wonderful stuff here. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making 
God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel contains our purpose. We are under something of a misapprehension of what the gospel is for. I think just because we're selfish human beings, we think that the purpose of the gospel is me. But the gospel contains purpose for you. It contains a job, a job description, which is really part of the good news. What should I do now? What am I here for? Hey, the gospel wants to tell you that you have clear and significant purpose to be employed by God, to be ambassadors of the ministry of reconciliation who have the message of reconciliation. Ambassadors of the Department of Reconciliation. I should have said that. The Department of Reconciliation is here. You're the ambassadors, and your job is to convey the message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation, which is verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's the message of reconciliation. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That Jesus Christ, verse 21, for our sake became sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our job in this world is to help people know the glory of the Lord. To know God in Christ. Let me ask you something. Do, do your friends and family, do your neighbors, do they have a proper understanding of who God is? When you invite them to church, they say, I'm not a church person. I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not into God. What does that mean? They haven't met God in Christ. They have a misapprehension. They have a misunderstanding of who God is. And it's our job to say, listen, listen, God was in Christ reconciling you to him. They need to know God in Christ. They need to be known. Right? We're trying to bring our people and God say, hey, you two need to talk. That's our job. Bring them to the table together, to a reconciliation conversation. This is the message, the ministry that we are ambassadors for. Now, this is going to entail three shifts that need to take place in how we view ourselves and our lives. First of all, how we regard ourselves. Again, verse 17. If anyone's in Christ, new creation. Verse 20. We're ambassadors for Christ. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 6. Working together with him, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We are new creation ambassadors of Christ. This is our primary social identity. That means this is who we think we are in relation to other people. Who do you think you are in relation to other people? I'm a, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, I'm a spouse, I'm a child, I'm a friend, I'm a worker. Those are all social relationships, social identities. What's your primary social identity? You serve You are an ambassador for Christ who serves reconciling people to God, introducing them properly to God by introducing them to Jesus Christ. That's who you are wherever you go. 
wherever we go, whoever we're among, this is our primary identity. Here's the second thing that shifts. We need to regard our lives differently. Verse 18 of chapter 5. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have the ministry of reconciliation. So this is our primary social aspiration. What we're trying to do socially. What are you trying to accomplish? What are you serving socially? I want people to think I'm cool. I want people to like me. I want people to think I'm funny. I want people to not ever notice me. I want... What are you trying to do? This. This is what you're trying to do because this is the new thing that has happened to you in Christ. He died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. And lastly, and most interestingly, there's a shift in how we regard others. Look at verse 15. From now, uh, verse 15? 15, let's start in verse 15. Let's see what happens. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. So how do you regard them? What, what does that mean? This is our primary social concern. The one question we have for people, the one question we have socially, which is, you know, so where are you from? What, have you, what do you do? What kind of animal? Are you a cat person or a dog person? Are you a pizza person or a burger? Like, these are social concerns. How do we fit? How do we maneuver? Oh, you like the Bears. Oh, no, I like the Packers, right? These are all social maneuverings. Here's your new social maneuver. Have they been reconciled to God in Christ? Have they received the grace of God with good effect so that they are now closer to Jesus as a result? When you interact with other Christians... Are they, are they receiving the grace of God to good effect and closer to Jesus now? Unbelievers, where, where, here's the question, where are they in relation to God? That is now our primary social concern. So there's these three shifts that are involved in this job description, in, the, in this job. All right, so that's our job. And these are the shifts that are involved in it. Now let's look at the end of our chapter, our end of our passage what is the gospel job description? Which is a question of how. How do we do this job? So let's look in chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 2 to the end. But let's look at the big list that begins in verse 4. Look at the wide variety of things in here. They're not all one thing. It's not all one little, like, all bad or all good. He begins, as servants of Christ... We commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. All right, so that's bad. <laughs> Those are sufferings, right? What's the next verse? By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, and genuine love. So he, he commends himself. He, we're supposed to do this job in our, with our sufferings, with the fruits of the Spirit, the next verse, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. So spiritual weapons of truthfulness and 
and the power of God. And then verse 8 begins this strange list of complex situations. Because it's not like you just wake up and feel like, oh no, I'm being beaten today. Or you wake up and feel like, oh, I'm really pure today. It's really complicated. So he goes in in verse 8, through honor and dishonor, slander and praise, imposters and yet true, as unknown, well-known, dying. We live as punished, but not killed, as sorrowful, but always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. I think we can resonate with this. Uh, I feel this, but this is also true. There's all, he says, all of it, we use it in the ministry of reconciliation. And now lastly, look at verses 11 to 13. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affection. In return, I speak as to my kids. Widen your hearts also. What's Paul doing there? Aren't you a little uncomfortable here with this? Right, because he's being very vulnerable. So his sufferings, spiritual fruit, spiritual weapons, the complexities of life, and now with big-hearted vulnerability, everything that Paul has, everything that comes into his life, he uses to commend his ministry to serve the gospel. Bad things, good things, meh things, deep things in him, all of it he uses. So are you hurting? Put it into this work. Serve the spread of the new creation. Are you blessed? Put it into this work. You know, this, this new creation image is really interesting because when God created Adam and Eve, it says in Genesis 2, he planted a garden in Eden and he put the man there and he said, work it and keep it. Work it and keep it. Work it, make it flourish, and protect it from threats. And this is really what Paul's describing here. Work it. Put all yourself into the expansion of the new creation. This little gray tarp is a new creation spot. And as we go out, we're pushing forward the new creation. So everything goes into that pot. Work it to make the new creation spread. Bad things come. Okay. Good things come. Fantastic. Weird things come. Okay, we're, we're pushing forward anyway so what's our job description put it all into this work right because if this is the gospel of reconciliation if this is that the great god is now open for us to have fellowship with him that we the creatures of the great god might be known now finally how amazingly through the work of jesus then this is the all-encompassing right the cataclysmic thing that our lives now are for all right, so put it all into this work. Here's the second thing. Look at me in verses 3 to 4. This is going to be a little negative and awkward, but I'm, the love of Christ maybe is controlling me. Hopefully that's what it is. We put no obstacle in anybody's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. The first rule of gospel ministry is do no harm. Do not do anything that compromises your ability to reconcile people to God. Put no obstacle 
in anyone's way. Keep the garden. I want to speak plainly here for a moment, unlike all the rest of the sermon to this point. I'm worried for the American church because it seems like one of the great revelations of the last 18 months is that American Christians are very much like other Americans. We listen to and soak in the same value-shaping media. Value-shaping media. They're telling us what we should consider a valuable subject. We are forming opinions, like other Americans, about the same dumb things that the media has presented to us and told us to care about. And we are holding tightly to our opinions. Christian or non-Christian, we baptize them in our religious ideas, attach them to some greater good. They are and have become obstacles in the way of reconciling the world to Christ. You are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through you. I thought up five ways your opinionizing gets in the way of God's work, but I'll save that for an article or something because we got communion to do still. Here's a question I want you to think about and use as an assessment tool. Will people, if they agree with you about that thing that you get so upset over, will they, if they agree with you, will they be closer to being reconciled to God? Will, if they agree with you about that subject, will they be a step further to knowing God in Christ rightly? Does our behavior, as Paul is so concerned with here, he's so concerned with commending himself so that his ministry is commendable to the Corinthians and to all, does our behavior commend them to consider the message of reconciliation afresh? And if it doesn't, then it's an obstacle. And we want to put no obstacle in, anyone, in anyone's way. If it's an obstacle, here's my suggestions. Keep it to yourself. Okay? The, one of the great lies implied by social media, and it doesn't just touch those who do social media, but has infused our whole culture and is, I think, the premise of social media, is that whatever you think really matters, and you should tell everybody. Do you remember 50 years ago when you didn't tell everybody? Don't tell everybody. Keep it to yourself. Or hold it very humbly and quietly. And discuss it rarely and without passion. I remember getting into a truck when I worked at a lumber yard to go do a delivery. And, I, you know, I'm always, I'm an eager seminarian. I'm always trying to steer the conversation over like, so, so where would you go when you die? You know, and uh, I started getting on, kind of like stepping out on the ice and the guy's like, hey, on, 
Truck rules, no politics or religion. So, we just talked about rock music, probably. Talk about religion, but don't talk about politics. Maybe. That's what I'm suggesting here. That's what I think is implied here in the do no harm words of Paul. Why he's Because the, the, the whole thing is framed with he's trying to be very sensitive to, to commend himself. And, and my heart is that are we commending ourselves to those who are without Christ and God in their lives? Is there, is there a grand conspiracy in the world today? Yes. It is a conspiracy to keep Christ's people from being ambassadors for Christ. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world is blinding the, mind, blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the conspiracy that's at work. All right. How do we do this? We put it all into this work. We put no obstacle in anybody's way. And do it today. Look at verse 2 of chapter 6. Don't receive the grace of God in vain, for God says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, today they need to hear the good news of reconciliation. Today. Today, we need to put what we've got into this work so that it goes forward and gets bigger. And yesterday, we need to have quit all of our obstacle-making, opinionizing. In context, all of this, again, leads to verse 13 of chapter 6. In return, Paul says, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also, verse 14, and don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Get rid of some of the yokings and bring yourself and your wide open hearts to join the gospel work that God has brought you to and has brought to you, which is us. For them, it was Paul. For us, it's us. What you have, put towards the work, whether it's time, talents, gifts, resources, Creativity, energy, pain, shame, grief. Share it. Help. Pray. Don't let God's, verse 1, we don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't let God's grace be no good for you. Fairfold de Tubois. This is a, a French folk saying that Van Gogh had on a big sign in his... Uh, workroom. Make fire of all wood. Whatever you have, throw it in and let's burn it. Whatever you have, if it's pain, if it's hard things, if it's muddling through, slogging through life, if it's really great, exciting things, bring it. Let's make fire of it. Let's spread the knowledge of God. All right, so there's a little bit of negativity in there, but this is really supposed to be a positive passage. So let's conclude by looking one last time at chapter 5, verses 20, to chapter 6, verse 1. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. 
We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with God, then, we appeal to you. Friends, we could be working with God. We can be working with God, and we have been called to be working together with God. It's a new creation you've come into. You're a new creation who's come in. Things aren't what they were. Our lives are under new management. So, why should we follow Paul's example and join his work despite all the difficulties and the complexities that it involves? Because Christ's love controls us. That's how Paul starts this passage. Christ's love controls us, and he ends it, and he says, open wide your heart also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love this good news that you were in Christ reconciling the world, us, to you. We who were sinners were made in Christ the righteousness of God. And he who knew no sin took our sin on himself. Lord, we, we love this. We love this good news. And as we turn our hearts and thoughts to, in a moment, celebrate the communion table, to celebrate this very visual and immediate reminder of the, the death of Christ, the gift of Christ, the life that he gave and the life that he wants to give us. We are brought to confront the, the claim here that the love of Christ is meant to, to control us, to, to bring us into a new way of living. And as certainly as this makes us all uncomfortable, it also thrills us. And we love it. And so, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts wide. Open our hearts wide to you, to this word, that, that we would welcome the love of Christ into our lives, that we would welcome all that that means for us. And sure, it means that there's going to be things that we want to do that we get redirected from, and interests we have that we need to put aside for a season. But in view of the love of Christ and, and the gospel and what you have done for us and who you are, Lord, help us to feel that that's okay. That'll be okay. And Spirit, I pray that you would, that you would come into every single one of us in a fresh way to help us to see, to, to, to see this world, to see our lives as ambassadors for Christ would see it. As those who are working together with Christ would see it, for that's what we are. And so we ask your help, your blessing upon this passage and this word. We ask that you would bless us and keep us as we work and keep the new creation life that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.